second uh, order I'm going to be signing, a memorandum reversed the my predecessor's attack on women's health, <coughs> health access. Oh, boy. <laughs> Does he have health access? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. <laughs> I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Oh, brother. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Boy, howdy. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We stream coast to coast and around the globe also for your listening convenience on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. As everything continues to go on at once, <laughs> and I'm having trouble making sense out of any of it. Yeah, I thought things were supposed to slow down a little bit, but nope. Not so much. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Let's begin with some good news today, shall we? I cannot promise it will stay that way, but uh, <laughs> General Motors said on Thursday that it will end the sale of all gasoline and diesel-powered passenger cars and light sports utility vehicles by 2035, marking an historic turning point for the big U.S.-based car maker and a future of uh, full of new electric vehicles for American motorists. This, of course, is huge news. Huge at least as far as I'm concerned, GM will no longer, GM will no longer make gas-powered uh, or ICE, uh, which stands for internal combustion engine cars. ICE cars, no more from GM. Remember when they used to make fun, Desi, of yes. Al Gore yeah. for warning that we would have to get rid of the internal combustion engine? They thought he was crazy. He said we'd have to do it to save humanity and the planet. Well, General Motors is not making fun of Al Gore today, it seems. Surprise! And as the saying used to go, and I'm going to say it's good to go again, what's good for General Motors <laughs> is good for the USA. This, in this case, is true. In this case, it's good for the entire planet. And, of course, it is absolutely 
freaking out the fossil fuel purchased wingnuts out there. We'll get to them in a moment. Uh, GM chief executive Mary Barra, who antagonized many climate experts by embracing Donald Trump's relaxation of fuel efficiency targets, said the company was eliminating all tailpipe emissions from light duty vehicles uh, by that date, by 2035. And to be honest, at this point, I suspect they're going to be doing it earlier. Yes. Uh, do you agree? Oh, I totally agree. I, I mean, because now that everyone is, is you know, realizing uh, consumers, buyers, Americans are going to be realizing they're going to be stuck with a car with no resale value at all down the road. Uh, I think all of this is going to happen a lot faster than we think. Yeah, I believe it will. And especially if uh, uh, President Biden comes through with uh, this plan that Chuck Schumer had presented about uh, providing a rebate to consumers to be able to turn in their old internal combustion. Correct. Engine cars, and so. that's so I mean, they'll have no resale value. They'll have to give something uh, like a rebate uh, well, via the federal government. Like the cash for clunkers program that worked so well in 2009. And here's the Chuck Schumer. As you uh, mentioned, Des, uh, what he said the other night, uh, we played this on, I think it was Friday's show. Uh, I believe he hopes to be able to give big rebates for folks to turn in their ICE cars in exchange for purchasing cleaner, safer, better electric cars. I have a provision that I'm pretty proud of called Clean Cars for America. Here's what it does. It says you turn in your internal combustion engine, you get a big point of sale rebate. The poorer you are, the deeper the rebate, so poor people will do it and get an electric car. At the same time, the federal government installs a charger by your house or on the street if you live in an apartment building and has all of our highways have it. So you can drive from right here in Washington to Seattle and not worry about running out of juice. And at the same time, we give some real help to GM and Ford so they can become the electric car centers of the world, not China. All of it done with American labor. It will take every internal, com it, no new internal combustion engines will be produced after 2030. And by 2040, there will be no internal combustion engines on the road. So uh, he's saying by 2030 uh, versus 2035, as GM is announcing today, uh, but as I say, I think all of this is going to happen a lot faster once it begins. And frankly, I would say it has begun. Oh, yes. I believe that the tipping point has pretty much already happened with this announcement from GM because they are the biggest car maker in the United States and they sell millions of vehicles a year. And also remember, Biden, President Biden just announced that he wants to shift the entire government fleet. That's about 650,000 cars and vehicles to all electric. So that's a piece of pie that, uh, that GM definitely wants. Now, Schumer's idea that there will be no ICE cars on the road by 2040 uh, kind of blows my mind, kind of seems impossible, uh, but I guess we will see. Yeah. CEO, uh, GM CEO Mary Barra said on LinkedIn today, quote, as one of the world's largest automakers, we hope to set an example of responsible leadership in a world that is faced with climate change, climate change. Not a moment too soon, I would say. <laughs> a, uh, a GM executive who asked for anonymity when speaking with the uh, Washington Post to describe details of the GM shift said that the company would spend $27 billion on electric vehicles and associated products between 2020 and 2025. That would outstrip their spending on conventional gas and diesel cars. 
That figure includes refurbishing factories and investing in battery production in conjunction with LG Chem, which is a South Korean battery maker. Got stock in LG Chem by any chance? (laughs) Uh, The company has also said it would manufacture about 30 types of electric vehicles. The move toward ending tailpipe emissions won't affect medium and heavy-duty trucks, at least for now, but it will include everything from cars and crossovers to uh, full-size SUVs, like the Silverado and the Yukon, according to a company spokesperson. That's a big deal. That is a big deal, and which I think uh, you actually can thank, love him or hate him, the controversial Elon Musk of Tesla for making the first all-electric, I think it was the, the very first all-electric SUV back at a time when the auto industry was saying things like, oh, we can't make electric cars because everybody wants SUVs and you can't make an electric SUV. They're just too big. Yeah, but Ford, GM's biggest competitor, is going to be coming out with an all-electric Ford F-150. All-electric. Pickup and, truck. Yeah, pickup truck. Yep. One of the, their biggest models. So um, obviously GM needs to catch up to their closest competitor. So to me, it seems like it is all over but the shouting. And of course, there's plenty oh, of shouting. Oh, there's going to be a lot of shouting. They're all <laughs> Already is a lot of shouting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fred Krupp, the president of the Environmental Defense Fund, uh, which had worked with GM on its plan, called it, quote, a breakthrough moment and said it's part of a wave of industry action that reinforces what the Biden administration is doing, he said. On Wednesday, as we reported and will again later today, and Desi Doyen's latest Green News report a bit later, Biden detailed an ambitious, far-reaching plan to transition the U.S. economy away from oil, gas and coal and towards solar, wind and other clean energy, saying the country must lead the global effort to cut the pollution that is driving climate change and speeding the planet toward environmental catastrophe. Among a series of actions, Biden signed an executive order that calls for the federal fleet, as you said, Des, to... um, Uh, replace approximately 650,000 vehicles to electric power. That alone is going to be a huge, uh, forgive the pun, a huge driver (laughs) for all of this and demonstrates yet again how action by the federal government, long overdue action, can make a huge difference all by itself. Biden's plan, uh, according to Krupp, of uh, EDF, uh, Biden's plan creates demand and drives down costs as privately owned fleets are expected to follow suit. Now, we already know, because studies show this, that regulations create innovation. They force companies, they force industries to innovate, and that in turn creates jobs. That's what we saw with the power plant industry. The power plant industry used to be the largest contributor to U.S. annual emissions. And because of the regulations that were put in place, the power industry, the power plant industry had to innovate, and now they don't, they, they're, they're phasing out coal, and mm-hmm. they're actually looking skeptically at natural gas as well. And now uh, the biggest cause of of, of greenhouse emissions. gases emissions is uh, is cars. Yeah, transportation is about 30% of U.S. emissions. It is the biggest chunk, and it will be the chunk that we have to address as fast as possible. Now, GM's statement leaves wiggle room, apparently, in continuing some internal combustion engines. According to critics, the company did not rule out using carbon offsets or credits, quote, 
if absolutely necessary, to reach its goal of eliminating tailpipe emissions. That means that GM could invest in programs that remove carbon dioxide from the air, like planting trees, uh, and still sell some gas-powered vehicles. But you know what? By 2035, nobody is going to want them anymore. This is true. I, I mean, you know, why would they want an old... Uh, Smelly, uh, is, loud. Well, any more than they would want an old analog cell phone in my opinion, <laughs> you know, other than for nostalgia at this point. GM said it plans its plans for, quote, decarbonizing and transitioning to 100 percent EVs would take place as supported by our commitment to setting science based targets. Dan Becker, the director of the Safe Climate Transport Campaign at the Center for Biological Diversity, said, quote, given GM's polluting track record, their promise to arrange some offsets for pollution means that the company's plan was, quote, just blue smoke and mirrors. I disagree. Cynic. I know. I was going to come on. Dude, I, I think that up. this because the European Union has already set this target because the state of California, the largest car market in the United States, has already set that target. It's going to be met. And I don't think that California will accept carbon credits. Uh, it's in any event, no matter how you look at it, I see it as very big, very good news. Oh, yeah. uh, at the same time, of course, right wingers beholden to the once powerful but less powerful by the day fossil fuel industry were already freaking out even before Joe Biden's big climate announcement on Wednesday in which he, among other things, after declaring that we can't wait any longer to address the climate crisis, uh, said his new executive orders will, quote, supercharge our administration's ambitious plan to confront the existential threat of climate change. He pledged to create up to a million job build a million jobs building electric cars uh, and also jobs installing solar panels, wind turbines, capping abandoned wells, uh, uh, reclaiming mines, turning old brownfield sites into the new hubs of economic growth, he said. Uh, and for people who don't know, what, what's a brownfield site? How a would brownfield you site is a former industrial site or any kind of former site that is no longer being used, has been, has been abandoned, is probably polluted, you know, has abandoned buildings, anything like that. So naturally, uh, Republicans immediately criticized the plan, despite all of these, you know, millions of jobs that are promised with this new with, you know, all of these new industries. Republicans immediately criticized it as a job killer. <laughs> they didn't even wait. I mean, of course, they would criticize no matter what he said. Congressman, uh, Congresswoman uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers of Washington State, who is the top Republican on the House Energy and Commerce Committee, said, quote, pie in the sky government mandates and directives that restrict our mining, oil and gas industries adversely impact our energy security and independence. Oh, and that was that was before GM's announcement, by the way. So I suspect she's not going to be very happy today either. Biden's actions uh, came as his nominee for energy secretary, former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm, faced a lot of skepticism from Republicans on Wednesday as she tried to pitch the president's vision for a green economy uh, with Wyoming Senator John Barrasso. 
a leading Republican on the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee saying uh, during Granholm's confirmation hearing, quote, the last Democratic administration went on a regulatory rampage to slow or stop energy production. Of course, he says energy. Uh, he's only referring there to oil and gas and coal. Uh, he added, I'm not going to sit idly by if the Biden administration enforces policies that threaten Wyoming's economy. Senator Bill Cassidy of the oil state of Louisiana said something along uh, the lines of, uh, well, yeah, sure, maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be jobs in the future. But what about right now? What about all those people who are going to be put out of jobs next week? They need a paycheck. Granholm, the former uh, leader of a state that, which was devastated by the 2008 recession, which then promoted emerging clean energy technologies such as battery manufacturing and their economy boomed thereafter. She responded this way to Cassidy. What I can tell you is from my experience in Michigan is that when we focused on providing incentives for job providers to locate in Michigan in clean energy, they came. But, I, but obviously there's going to be a lag time and it may happen, it may not happen, but those folks will not have a paycheck next week. Well, I, here's what I would say, sir. Uh, I, I know, and you and I spoke about this, uh, the opportunity to, and, and separate from cost, the opportunity to provide these uh, products as well as energy in a way that reduces greenhouse gas emissions is there. If we take this technology to scale, so you and I spoke about this idea of, of blue hydrogen and how the push boats along the Louisiana coast might be, for example, a pilot for that kind of technology. I would love to work with you on that to ensure that people are put to work, but in a way that reduces greenhouse gas emissions. I think that's true for the feedstock for products as well. She was very polite, wasn't she? Oh, she was. She was very polite. Uh, what is uh, what is blue hydrogen so she blue, referred to? Blue hydrogen is made from natural gas or nuclear, and uh, it is a something that fossil fuel companies really want so that they can continue to stay in business after, even after oil has been phased out so that they can continue to produce natural gas for plastics and, and other items. So That's that means we're going to have to have natural gas to create blue hydrogen and continue polluting with well, the natural we gas? We don't have to have it. We could use nuclear, for example, existing nuclear. So green we have to have nuclear instead of... Uh, well, right now there is developing green hydrogen, which is made from renewable sources like solar and wind, but that's not ready for commercialization yet. So that's probably another five to 10 years away. So this shift to blue hydrogen sort of helps nudge it along a little faster so that oil gets out of the mix and then they can try to shift from blue hydrogen to green hydrogen, which uses the same energy infrastructure. So that's why they're trying to push. She's trying to help him. She's trying to actually help Cassidy's people in Louisiana. Yes, there's the problem. She's trying to help Cassidy's people in Louisiana. She's not helping Cassidy. Cassidy is funded by the oil industry. Right. 
And so if the oil industry goes away, so does Cassidy's funding. Right. These so are that's gonna... what he cares about, not the people of Louisiana. Exactly. They don't actually, Republicans are not actually caring, caring about jobs or even fossil fuel jobs. They just want to keep oil industry profits going. If they did care, they would listen to people like Granholm and Biden. Who are trying uh, to help them. Well, who said that investment in these uh, cleaner energy projects will net millions of jobs. Yeah. And this was uh, yesterday. Yesterday, uh, former EPA administrator Gina McCarthy, she's now uh, Joe Biden's domestic White House national climate advisor, something like that. Just think of her as the domestic climate coordinator. There you go. She also spoke to this point. Uh, we played it yesterday, but, we, you know, we can't play it enough because this is... Democrats have been trying to get this point across for years now, sometimes clumsily. You remember famously back in 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton, they would take her comments out of out of context, out of context, where Completely. she said uh, we're 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 going to lose a lot of cold jobs or something like that. Right. But her point was, we're going to lose a lot of those jobs. We will replace those jobs in the communities where they are lost. And yesterday, Gina McCarthy uh, spoke uh, about exactly that during a briefing on uh, Biden's ambitious new climate policy. It also has set up a task force that is looking at the, these coal uh, communities, uh, communities that are really reliant on their local energy and utility. And it talks about how do we revitalize those economies. And it talks about how we can put people to work using the skills they currently have where they are to start looking at those old abandoned oil and gas wells that are spewing out methane or, or all of the coal that, that is uh, mines that haven't been properly closed that are doing the same, that has great impact on climate, but also will keep an opportunity for those for those individual workers to have work in their own communities. So, no, you know, if, if you live in the holler in West Virginia, you don't have to move to San Francisco, San Francisco and get a solar job. They will, you know, they are working very hard to replace the jobs where they will be lost. Using the skills that they already have. Yeah. You know, a coal miner is good at uh, at moving earth. They can rebuild places like abandoned mines. But also want to point out a really important statistic. The U.S. renewable energy sector already employs more people than the fossil fuel industry, and it creates more permanent jobs. So when you think about what Senator Barrasso said yeah. against uh, to J Jennifer Granholm, yeah. when he said Wyoming's energy, well, actually, Wyoming's energy wind farm projects generate more jobs than <laughs> oil in Wyoming. Oh, um, a well, new report well, found that just four wind farms in yeah. Wyoming are going to create about 150 permanent jobs, not just construction, but permanent jobs in maintenance and operations. That's three times the amount of permanent jobs that the Keystone XL pipeline would have created. Well, that's only if you consider wind power to be energy. <laughs> exactly. Which and we all know that's Republicans not energy. Don't. Uh, the uh, the uh, here's a quote from uh, the environmental left. The environmental left. I guess they're talking about you there, Des, <laughs> is leading the agenda. Oh, God forbid at the White House when it comes to energy and environment issues, said Kathleen Scamma. That's her name. President of the yes, Western Energy Alliance, which represents oil and gas drillers in Western states, the Western 
Energy Alliance, who apparently does not consider wind farms to uh, to produce energy. The group, of course, filed a legal challenge immediately after Joe Biden signed uh, his uh, presidential uh, orders on Wednesday. Well, I got to use those profits for something. Might as well use them for lawsuits. Biden's pause in new onshore oil, gas and coal leasing is limited to federal lands. It does not affect drilling on private lands, which is largely regulated by states. It will not affect existing leases either and could be further blunted by companies that stockpiled enough drilling permits in the uh, in Trump's final months to allow them to keep pumping oil and gas for years. So stop your whining, Kathleen. Yeah, so when Senator Cassidy said they won't have a job next week, that is a flat-out lie. Those you, people will still be employed. You almost called him Senator Catheter. I did. <laughs> I, you, I heard it. Uh, also, by the way, uh, stop your whining, Fox News fake news peddler Sean Hannity. Biden also promised to cancel, yes, energy independence. By the way, if you work on the Keystone XL pipeline, you have a great high-paying career job. It's probably going away, destroying countless jobs in the energy sector. And, of course, now creating higher oil energy prices and, yes, more dependence on nations that hate our guts, like Russia and China and countries in the Middle East. So that's how Fox News is reporting it. That's how your uh, MAGA uncle is hearing all of this news in between. Uh, reports of how Joe Biden and the Venezuelans stole the election from Donald Trump. Uh, of course, he wasn't the only one to predictably freak out on Fox News. You're taking the federal fossil fuel business or the fossil fuel business, which is generating <laughs> $8.2 billion despite the pandemic. Can you imagine if people were flying and driving how much this would be, be bring? You have made us... Uh, our independence was so important to our national security, mm-hmm. it changed the whole foreign policy. But now you even have your new Secretary of Defense focusing on climate change in- instead of defending the country. Unbelievable. So, uh, Brian Kilmeade uh, may Super not... Super genius, Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, he may not realize climate change is national security. It is national defense, you doofus. Just ask the leaders of the military who have been trying to make that clear for years now. But, of course, unlike Brian Kilmeade at Fox News and the Republicans in Congress, I guess those folks at the military are not on the fossil fuel industry payroll. Uh, telling, uh, And I'm not even sure what he was actually getting at there. I think it was telling that he described the federal fossil fuel industry. Did you notice that? <laughs> yep. Uh, and, of course, here we are in a pandemic when people are driving and flying... Would they not be driving and flying in the future? Is that what they actually now believe at Fox News? If we get rid of oil and gas, there'll be no more flying, no more driving, and no more hamburgers. Well, of course, they have to have their maximal outrage freakout. One more uh, point here worth noting, uh, and as mentioned, we'll, we'll have more, a bit more on this uh, in the Green News report. But uh, Joe Biden is also directing all U.S. agencies, federal agencies, to use science and evidence-based decision-making in federal rulemaking. So while that sort of seems rudimentary to me uh, and you, I guess, I hope, <laughs> uh, it's actually a big, if, if kind of sad deal, that the president has to actually issue a presidential directive that you know all U.S. agencies should use science and evidence-based decision-making 
in federal rulemaking. Well, I think he's trying to make clear that there is absolutely no place for political considerations on science-based rulemaking, which is what the Trump administration did when it degraded the entire federal government's science capabilities. And despite what the uh, fossil fuel industry wingnuts are uh, saying, uh, and and boy, are they going to have a harder and harder time (laughs) raising money for their elections, uh, you know, as their biggest donors begin to go out of business eventually, uh, or some of them will change. Was it uh, Shell Oil we talked about a few weeks ago on the Green News Report that's actually actually trying to be an energy company, is getting into solar and so forth? Yeah, they're one of the few energy companies that have made a pledge to become carbon neutral, which will require them to change their oil industry offerings, which means that they're going to try to diversify, diversify their products. I know it's a crazy idea that every other business on the planet pretty much has to do, but not the oil industry. So all of this comes, uh, frankly, uh, not a moment too soon. It, it, you know, if you don't listen to Fox, uh, oh, it's going to cost millions of jobs. They're always wrong about everything. It's actually quite exciting uh, if, if, and it's still a big if, if all of this stuff can move forward. But if it does, it comes not a moment too soon. According to new U.S. economic numbers out from the federal government today, Uh, Stuck in the grip of a viral pandemic, the U.S. economy shrank last year by the largest amount in 74 years. For 2020, a year when the coronavirus inflicted the worst economic freeze since the end of World War II, the economy contracted three and a half percent and clouded the outlook for the coming year. Though the final three months of the year, once it became clear that Joe Biden would be the next president, apparently, the economy grew at a rate of 4% in that final quarter. That could be a good sign, but it is still early, and a lot is going to depend on how and if Republicans allow Joe Biden's recovery plan to move forward. The economic damage in 2020 followed the eruption of the pandemic 10 months ago and the deep recession it triggered with tens of millions of Americans left jobless. So, yeah, creating millions of new jobs in a new industry might be a good idea. The outlook right now for 2021 is hazy. Economists warn that a sustained recovery recovery will not likely take hold until vaccines are distributed and administered nationwide. And government enacted rescue aid spreads through the economy, which will take months. In the meantime, millions of Americans are struggling. On Thursday, for example, the government reported that new applications for unemployment benefits remained at a historically high 847,000, while companies continue cutting jobs as the pandemic continues to rage. Now, 847,000 new unemployment applications. Before the virus erupted in the U.S. back in March, Weekly applications for jobless aid never topped 700,000, even during the Great Recession. Since then, for the past, I believe we are now at 45 weeks in a row, that number has been blown away week after week after week as Donald Trump pretended that everything was just fantastic and that the virus was a big Democratic hoax. Even as the economy shrank last year, the stock market nonetheless managed to rise. 
Investors, uh, they say, uh, are focused on future corporate profits uh, and economic health down the road rather than on the current state of the economy. But the pandemic's blow to the economy early last spring ended the longest U.S. economic expansion on record, nearly 11 years. For our math-impaired MAGA friends listening out there, 11 years is longer than four years. Four years would be the number of years that Donald Trump was in office. So this was the longest U.S. expansion in history, begun under, yes, Barack Obama. The damage from the virus caused GDP to contract at a 5% annual rate in last year's first quarter. Since then, thousands of businesses have closed. Nearly 10 million people are out of work. Nearly 450,000 Americans have died from the virus. The estimated drop in GDP for 2020 was the first such decline since uh, 2009 during the recession that followed the 2008 financial crisis. That was the deepest annual setback following the last Republican president who also left the economy in ruins. The deepest uh, setback since 1946, when the economy was demobilizing after World War II. The GDP report also showed that former President Donald Trump ended his presidency with GDP averaging annual gains of 1% during his four years. 1%. So much for his promised economy on rocket fuel or whatever it was that he had promised. I believe he said that it would be, I think he said it was going to be well above 4% each year, didn't he? Is that the number you Uh, recall? Something like that. So, sorry, uh, just 1% overall. And by the way, that annual average was also lower than the 1.6 annual GDP gains during the Obama administration. A period, by the way, that also included a recession. And nonetheless, under Obama, it was 1.6% annually. Under Donald Trump, 1% annually. So please store these facts away for when your MAGA mob uncle tells you how great Donald Trump was for the economy and so much better than Barack Obama. In fact, he was not. He was worse by a lot just as George W. Bush was worse by a lot than Bill Clinton's booming economy before him. And yet, incredibly, and I don't know how they pull it off, but incredibly, uh, you know, Americans tend to think that, oh, the Republicans are great for the economy. Uh, Completely in contradiction to reality and facts, going back administration after administration after administration. Well, I would say that that has to do with the corporate media parroting the talking points of Republicans over and over and over again. Because, again, with any big lie, the more often you tell it, it still isn't true, but it becomes true in people's minds the more they hear it. Gregory Daco, a uh, the chief economist at Oxford Econo- Economics, uh, foresees a brightening outlook, however, after the current quarter. For the rest of uh, for the rest of this year, his view, however, assumes a widespread use of vaccines, increased government aid from Congress's approval of at least part of Joe Biden's one point nine trillion dollar relief package proposed. Uh, 
and pent-up spending from a savings buildup among higher-income families during the pandemic. So, yeah, uh, getting that package passed, that $1.9 trillion package, getting it passed is important, even as Republicans in the Senate are now balking and pretending suddenly again as they do whenever there's a Democrat in the White House, that they're fiscal conservatives again and they're budget hawks and they're worried about the debt and the deficit and we can't afford $1.9 trillion. Truth is, not only can we afford it, we must afford it. As David Dayan of The Prospect noted on this show last week, I think it was, the economy is losing about $10 billion a day, every day, that it is now largely shut down and that we can't get it going again until people are vaccinated. So whatever it costs, whatever it costs to get the vaccine out there as quickly as possible to as many people as possible to shore up the economy wherever possible in the meantime, that will be money well spent. At least for those who actually care about the economy and not just about politics. So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, that does not include the Republican Party at this time, apparently. Oxford's DACO said the vaccine rollout is essential without an improving health situation. We are not going to get any improvement in the economic situation. Of course, that may be exactly what the Republicans want. Bingo. Man, many economists warn that without further government financial support, the economy risks succumbing to another recession. Nonetheless, Joe Biden and the Democrats are at least trying to help. Let's take a quick break and we'll talk about uh, some of that help and uh, maybe, if time, some of the thanks that they seem to be getting for it. It was Healthcare Day at the White House. We'll talk about that straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to the world-renowned Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. President Joe Biden on Thursday ordered government health insurance markets to reopen for a special sign-up window offering uninsured Americans, for example, those millions who have lost their jobs in recent months due to Trump's tanked COVID economy, uh, offering them a haven as the spread of the virus remains dangerously high and vaccines are not yet widely available. Biden signed an executive order directing the healthcare.gov insurance markets to take new applications for subsidized benefits something that uh, Donald Trump's administration refused to do, even in the middle of a pandemic when millions of people were losing jobs. 
Biden also instructed his administration to consider reversing other Trump health care policies, including curbs on abortion counseling and the imposition of work requirements for low-income people uh, getting Medicaid, but who can't find jobs despite requirements for jobs in those Republican-run states, given that we are in the middle of a pandemic that those Republican-run states made far worse than it needed to be, leading to millions of uh, lost jobs. Here was uh, Joe Biden's announcement at the White House on Thursday, which was health care day for his executive action spree at the White House. Basically, the best way to describe them, to undo the damage Trump has done. There's nothing new that we're doing here other than restoring the Affordable Care Act and restoring the Medicaid to the way it was before Trump became president, which by fiat he changed, made more inaccessible, more expensive, and more difficult for people to qualify for either of those two items, the Affordable Care Act or Medicaid. And the second the second uh, order I'm going to be signing also changes what the president has done, the president, the, the president, what former president uh, has done, and that uh, a memorandum reversed the my predecessor's attack on women's health, <coughs> health access, Jesus. and uh, as we continue to battle COVID-19, even more critical Americans have meaningful uh, access to health care. And so, again, I'm not initiating any new law, any new aspect of the law. This is going back to what the situation was prior to the president's executive order. And uh, the first one I'm going to be signing here is the Strength in Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act. And of all times that we need to reinstate access to, affordability of, and extent of access to Medicaid is now in the middle of this COVID crisis. Uh, so that was the president, not uh, the new president, not uh, doing anything new other than undoing the damage of the previous president when it came to health care. The idea of reopening Obamacare's health insurance markets in the pandemic is, has broad support from consumer, medical, and business organizations, according to AP, as the number of uninsured Americans grew because of job losses in the pandemic, the Trump administration resisted calls to reopen healthcare.gov so that people could get health care. Failure to repeal and replace Obamacare was one of the former president's most bitter disappointments. But you know what? Uh, I, I think in the uh, in the next two weeks, Trump will finally be revealing. <laughs> His long-promised health care plan that is great. And cheaper. Cheaper. It's better. It's going to give better coverage to everyone in the country. And everyone's going to love it. It's going to be coming. In the next couple of weeks, we'll see that. Absolutely. Republicans are going to come up with something any day now. Yeah, they will. Anyway, uh, instead, uh, the uh, the Trump administration... Uh, continue trying to find ways all through, for the last four years uh, to limit the Affordable Care Act or to kill it entirely. And yes, we still have a Supreme Court decision coming on uh, Trump's final legal challenge to try to kill the Affordable Care Act entirely. That decision is expected uh, later this year, I guess, in June. 
as the Congressional Budget Office projects that nearly 32 million Americans are now uninsured and that of those, and this is what's maddening, of those, two in three of them are eligible for some kind of subsidized coverage. If they know about it, if they are given access to it, and if they don't live in states like the dozen or so where Republicans have blocked access to Medicaid for millions of Americans in the middle of a pandemic. But of course, with all of that health care and millions of new jobs and free vaccines for all that the Biden administration and the Democrats are trying to give to the American people, no wonder As the DHS warned yesterday, no wonder there's so many people trying to stop them, even using violence, if necessary, to do it. I mean, does this make any sense? I've, uh, I guess, you know, when when you've been so wildly misinformed for so many years, nothing actually needs to make sense anymore, which is why DHS is warning about domestic violence extremists, yes, terrorists, who they are very concerned about right now and for good reason, it seems, along with about 150 people who have been charged following Trump's murderous MAGA mob attack at the U.S. Capitol just over three weeks ago. There are a whole bunch of others out there who have been caught plotting against the U.S. government after Trump hoaxed them into believing that the election was stolen from him. Thankfully, a number of them also appear to be really, really stupid. So that has helped to make it easier to catch them. Here's one in New York, a Queens man who worked in the state court system, was accused last week of making threats to murder Democratic politicians, including suggesting another attack on the Capitol time to the uh, inauguration. That man was not at the riot on January 6th, but he made threatening remarks about Democratic politicians beforehand that intensified in a video that he posted two days later, which was titled in all caps, KILL YOUR SENATORS. In the video, he encourages people to return to the Capitol and take up arms. If anybody has a gun, he says, give it to me. I'll go there myself and shoot them and kill them, the man said, according to the FBI. The uh, Justice Department also announced charges on Wednesday against a 43-year-old guy named Ian Rogers, a California man found with five pipe bombs during a search of his business this month. He had a sticker associated with the right-wing extremist group, the Three Percenters, on his vehicle. His lawyers told his hometown paper, the Napa Valley Register, that he is, quote, a very well-respected small business owner, family, uh, family man and father, who does not belong to any violent organizations. Well, we are learning more today about this very well-respected small business owner, father and family man. Apparently, he uh, possessed several operational pipe bombs and spoke about, quote, going to war for Donald Trump in the wake of the attack on the Capitol, according to the federal complaint filed by the DOJ. Quote, I want to blow up a Democrat building so bad. Ian Rogers allegedly wrote in January 11 text messages reviewed by law enforcement. He also mused about attacking Twitter, Facebook, Governor Gavin Newsom's offices. He allegedly wrote, the Democrats need to pay. 
I hope 45 goes to war. If he doesn't, I will. Sad it's come to this, but I'm not going down without a fight. When police executed a search warrant of his home and business uh, in mid-January, they allegedly found five fully operational pipe bombs, 49 firearms from this father and family man, including what, quote, what appears to be a kit-built replica of an MG-42 belt-fed machine gun. The MG-42 was used by Nazi troops during World War II, according to the uh, FBI affidavit. But Rogers, uh, his lawyer, says he's simply an enthusiastic follower of the president. (laughs) His uh, defense attorney told the uh, local radio station up there, KGO, uh, a quote, I guess that used to make him a patriot, and now that makes him a terrorist. No, actually, the part that makes him a terrorist might be the pipe bombs and the guns and telling people that he wants to blow up a Democratic building so bad. I think that might be the part that makes him a terrorist. Uh, Also, by the way, uh, the search warrant found a white privilege card it's a like it looks like a credit card. It says white privilege card. And the slogan is Trump's everything member since birth. Good through death. Cardholder name. Scott free. Also making him a terrorist. Books like homemade C4, a recipe for survival. C4 is an explosive. The items recovered during the search, quote, indicate that the pipe bombs were not just for entertainment purposes, contrary to what Rogers told police. Anyway, uh, (laughs) that's the people who are out there. We don't have time to talk, and it's fine because other people are talking about it plenty today, about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is now an actual congressperson. Uh, In the U.S. House of Representatives uh, from Georgia and uh, things like, you know, liking uh, a uh, she talked she had posts that uh, liked uh, the idea of putting a bullet in the head of the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi talked about, uh, quote, if we get to hang former President Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And some other, yeah, some other horrible stuff. A congressman from Los Angeles, Congressman Jimmy Gomez, is now moving to expel her from the House. I suspect we'll have more about that in the days ahead. But as we are trying today to stay, we've had so much good positive news. Let's stick with it. We'll take a quick break and we will come back with Desi Doyen in the Green News Report. Special coverage of President Joe Biden's. Long overdue climate action. Straight ahead on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. good news today desi oh yeah what has gone wrong (laughs) i don't understand and that includes your latest green news report today uh it's climate day at the white house and uh 
which means that today is jobs day at the White House. Green News Report special coverage. President Biden launches historic government-wide climate action. That historic action and our special coverage straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Let me be clear. We're not going to ban fracking. Okay, Joe, you don't have to rub it in. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you've been waiting 20 years or so for this day. A very ambitious climate change agenda from the White House. Oh, yes. Just one week into his presidency, President Joe Biden made good on his campaign promise to launch a whole-of-government approach to solving man-made climate change. On Wednesday, Biden unveiled a sweeping, historic climate action plan to create millions of jobs, set the nation on the path to 100% clean electricity by 2035, and reach net zero emissions by 2050 with a central focus on environmental justice. So no carbon emissions from power generation by 2035 and carbon neutrality by 2050, right? Oh, yes. And how does that stack up against other nations and their targets around the world? It puts the U.S. in line with what other nations, especially the Europeans, have already set. So we're catching up. Yes. In a speech at the White House, Biden listed the costs of repeated extreme weather disasters and deadly pollution and highlighted the jobs boom that will result from addressing the critical need to upgrade the nation's crumbling infrastructure for resilience. It's a future of enormous hope and opportunity. It's about uh, coming to the moment to deal with this maximum threat that's now facing us, climate change, with a greater sense of urgency. In my view, we've already waited too long to deal with this climate crisis. We can't wait any longer. The Biden climate plan is seriously huge and historic, and it is in keeping with the speed and scope that climate scientists say is necessary to avoid catastrophic climate impact. It dwarfs the policies of the Obama administration. The executive orders and actions signed by Biden focus on both domestic and international climate action and environmental justice, helping frontline and marginalized communities affected by pollution and ensuring equity in federal infrastructure and clean energy investment. It begins the phase out of fossil fuels while addressing job losses in coal mining and oil producing regions. Now, this is a partial list. Biden imposed a moratorium on new oil and gas leases and permitting for public lands and waters. Biden did not ban fracking because he can't. Only an act of Congress can do that. He directed federal agencies to eliminate fossil fuel subsidies that they have control over and to stimulate permitting and deployment of clean energy. He asked Congress to finally phase out taxpayer subsidies for fossil fuels that have existed for more than a century. He boosts investment in advanced battery research and carbon capture. He directed the entire U.S. fleet of government vehicles to shift to all electric, which in turn, he says, will create a million auto worker jobs. 
He set up a White House task force to coordinate emissions reduction policies and ensure that 40 percent of federal climate investments go to creating jobs in marginalized communities. His order rebuilds the nation's federal science agencies and research offices. He implements measures to protect scientists and scientific integrity from the political interference that became epidemic during the Trump administration. He will establish a new modern-day climate conservation corps, modeled after the Depression-era Civilian Conservation Corps, to employ young people to build climate-resilient infrastructure. He set up a task force to create new investment in coal country and communities reliant on fossil fuel jobs to utilize the skills they already have where they live to clean up closed mines and abandoned oil and gas wells and build new clean energy projects. And that is very important. He wants to give them jobs, new jobs, cleaning up the mess that we have made for the past I don't know how many decades. Biden also labeled the climate crisis as a national security threat. Special International Climate Envoy, the former Secretary of State John Kerry, countered the corporate media's fixation on cost, noting we are already spending hundreds of billions of dollars a year on climate disasters. So we're spending the money, folks. We're just not doing it smart. We're not doing it in the way that would actually sustain us for the long term. Biden closed out his historic climate day with this. Our plans are ambitious, but we are America. We're bold. We're unwavering in the pursuit of jobs and innovation, science and discovery. We can do this. We must do this and we will do this. We will see if we will do this. I just have a feeling the Republicans in Congress want to do none of it. For much more on all of this and the stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Better late than never in the nick of time. It took so long to give me your love, but it's right on time. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yep. Better late than never, indeed. Indeed, and it's going to be a long fight to get any of this done, so people have to stay engaged to keep it happening, especially through the 2022 midterm elections. What? We have to keep working? Yeah. Damn it. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much, Des. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. It is always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, where we are celebrating our 17th anniversary 17 years of troublemaking and muckraking uh, at bradblog.com and of course right here on your public airwaves our thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for uh, an anniversary gift thanks in advance you can drop me email if you like i am bradcast at bradblog.com and you'll find me on the facebooks and the twitters at the Brad blog. I will see you here until I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck world. Because your love is what I need. It's better than now. Mm-hmm. In the nick of time.